You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. This message is from our series on 1 Samuel, presented by Scott Schuler, member of New Hope Chapel's teaching team. When I first entered the ministry at Salem United Methodist Church, um, I came straight from a business background. I went through seminary, but I came from a business background, and I thought that I had um, discerned in God's timing that all of the experience he gave me in the business world, all of the things that he taught me, that I could just come straight into the church and apply these things and turn the church into a going concern, that it was going to turn into a real growth industry and that everybody in northern Baltimore County was going to stop flocking to this church simply because they were doing all of these very effective uh, strategies. I read a lot of George Barner, Barna, who I believe actually more recently has uh, become a little more supernatural in his outlook, but at the time... He prepared a lot of these uh, can-do books and how-to books and all these kinds of strategies that were guaranteed to build up the crowd in the church. And I, um, I applied as many of them as I could. Um, we had some members of the um, uh, Baltimore Orioles who were Christians come up and talk. I thought that would get the men there. Uh, it didn't. Uh, I brought in some people that I thought... I brought in uh, B. Gaddy. Does anybody remember B. Gaddy? She used to do the uh, Thanksgiving... Um, Dinners for all the poor people in Baltimore. She had like 30,000 Thanksgiving. I, I brought her up. Um, that didn't, it, it wasn't worth her time. Well, spiritually, see, now here's how worldly I am. I have not the slightest idea how many souls she touched. But we had a very small offering. Um, they were not of God. I didn't look for God. I didn't seek God. I didn't pray to God. They looked like good ideas to me. I just figured the church was not keeping up, that the church did not have all of the latest strategies. The church was not doing all of the things that the world had developed, and these were really good strategies, and all we would have to do would be to put them into practice, and the church would boom, and it didn't. That's how you learn. We are set apart. And I was trying to be like the world and wondering why the world wasn't responding to it, and that's because the world has enough of the world without looking for more worldly things to keep themselves occupied. The world needs Christ. The world needs something supernatural. We have plenty of the natural to keep us busy. Now, if you've read um, this part of uh, 1 Samuel and you've been looking at this, you'll notice I'm showing a New Testament scripture. But basically, 1 Samuel, this is what God is saying. Uh, God was saying to his people, who do you say that I am? Who are you following? What are you going to do with the truth that I have given you What difference is it going to make in your lives? What are you going to do with it? Who do you say that I am? Am uh, am I Lord or not? And if I am, what are you going to do about having a Lord that's different from the Lord everybody else has? And choose this day who you will serve, which is Old Testament. You have to choose. Because to choose one is to choose not to do the other one. They can't be blended. They can't be merged. They can't be married in fact, if anything, what we're ending up doing with the world is we're um, divorcing it. We're not supposed to love the things of the world, remember? doesn't seem right. We're supposed to love our neighbor but not love the things of the world. That's a, that's a sermon for another time. It's tricky business. But the Lord doesn't tell us that, or ask us or command us to do anything that can't be done. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be following God. You know, the thing about where that car is, if you've driven behind a truck like this, you can't see anything but the truck. 
But so it's actually more symbolic than it, than it uh, originally meant. You can't see anything else. You don't know what's ahead of him. You don't know what's on. You just got all you can see is the truck. He fills your entire field of vision. We're supposed to be following God and not following the ways of the world. Um, remember when they had the, can you read the sign in the bottom left? Tune in to 88.5 FM for worship. Uh, if you want to hear the sermon, you go in your car and you turn on the FM radio and you listen to the sermon from your car and then you buzz. Now, what kind of a community must they have? What kind of fellowship must they have? What kind of love for each other was? I don't know. But it doesn't seem like it fosters it to me. But when you, we, uh, we look at what the churches were doing, when we look at what I was doing, when we look at all the things that I thought were going to make a difference, I was getting caught up in fads. The, the latest thing, the latest, uh, the, uh, and there are plenty of these in the church. If you go to um, uh, uh, various bookstores or bo- uh, Amazon or anything and look for these about strategies for church growth, you're going to see all kinds of stuff that you know is not going to uh, foster a person's loving Jesus more than they love him today. It's intended to get attendance up, and that's all that it's intended to do. You can gather a crowd in a lot of places, but whether they learn about Jesus while they're there is another thing. And our charge is to uh, nurture the Christians and and shepherd them along. Convenience. We had a church that I was attending one time that... um, wanted to change the time that, it, that Sunday worship was. How do you think that conversation went? Was it calm and peaceful and serene and well-reasoned? No. This ruins my Sunday. I have my Sunday built around church right now. If I'm not out of here at 12 o'clock, if I'm not out of here right on time, it upsets my whole day. This is no kidding. The conversation went exactly, it's inconvenient to worship at this particular time. I'm not enjoying it. I don't like the music. It's not fun. It's not doing enough for me. It's not, it's not, it doesn't keep me uh, pumped up. It doesn't keep, you know, enjoyment not being fulfilled, not the same thing as fulfilled, just having fun. Entertainment value. Following the ways of the world. We see this in 1 Samuel. We'll see this in a second. Security. Where do you get your security from? What makes you feel calm? What makes you feel secure? What makes you feel safe? And, of course, our dedication to ourselves, seeking worldly rewards, worldly praise, worldly values. But from the church, one of the most deadly is worldly acceptance. When the world accepts the church as it is, it means the church is failing. The world is supposed to be upset by us. Is this this something you're ready to hear? The world is supposed to see what we do, hear what we say, and it's supposed to shake them and jar them out of their complacency. It's supposed to tell them that there's another way of doing things that they're not doing. It's the, the message of the gospel oftentimes is presented as something that is, it is good news, which it is. But the things that we are asked to do in the Bible, oftentimes, they put us at odds with the world and they're designed to be. And you can either hear this or you can't. It's possible to listen to this and think, I don't want any part of this. It's not convenient, it's not enjoyable, it's not fun. It makes things tough on me. It puts me at odds with the world. It puts me out of step with the world. It means my friends won't hang around with me anymore. I lost a lot of friends when I became a Christian. Didn't any of you? Because the basis for your friendship is different. 
the things that they're interested in, there was an old song that the, the birds used to sing um, called The Christian Life. I don't know if anybody, I don't know if I even remember the birds, let alone the song. That's how long ago it was, I guess. But it was, um, my, you know, I've, my, my buddies shun me since I came to Jesus. They think I'm missing a whole world of fun. First Samuel 8. Now, we've got three chapters of the Bible to go through here. And, I mean, we love the word, but we're not going to read three chapters tonight, today just right in a row. So here's, here's some parts that, um, in prayer, let's bring these out. The Lord told him, Samuel, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Now, we've been hearing in the sermons in the last few weeks, what's been going on here is that the people of Israel got tired of God being their Lord, being their king. It was too hard to find a king you couldn't see. It's too hard to find a king that, you, that doesn't, um, uh, isn't physical. It's too hard to see a king that just works so differently than all the other kings. They know what kings look like. They saw kings all around them in all these other nations. They knew what kings looked like. They knew how they worked. They knew how they functioned. Um, they knew how to deal with them simply because they were human beings, and they wanted one. We don't want to be different. We're tired of being different. We don't, we're, we're, we don't know how to handle it. But if you give us a human king, we'll know what to do with them. And God recognizes to Samuel, who's going to go and anoint the king, the new king, they're going to be upset with you, but they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. A human king versus God as king. Who's more wise? Who's more powerful? Who's more understanding? Who's more loving? Who's more able? Who's more capable? Who's more consistent? Who will have your interest at heart more, the human king or the godly king? And he told them, this is what's going to happen. He gave them a list of the things that the king would do, including take away their sons and daughters, all these kind of things, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. The desire for something we could see and touch and understand trumped all other considerations. Who knows? Maybe our son or our daughter would be... Spared. You will cry out for relief from the king that you have chosen, and the Lord will not answer you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. And then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. Choose this day who you will serve. And who do you say that I am? The... the, um, the choice of the, the words I am all of a sudden seems pretty poignant. It's I am who is saying this. And it didn't matter. It was too hard. It was too difficult. We're going to do this ourselves. Moving to Samuel 9. The Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you that they've rejected. They've rejected me as their king. And the Lord revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and anoint him over him leader over my people Israel. So God's chosen the person who it's going to be, told Samuel was the prophet who it's going to be, told him what to do, um, gave him his, his marching orders, and when Saul showed up, he was anointed. I've looked upon my people 
for their cry has reached me. Even calling for something that, that the Lord knew was wrong for them, they're his people. He gave them what they asked for, warned them they wanted it anyway. And it's important to understand that God did not abandon them at this time. When we ask for things that are not good for us, we might think they're good for us. We might really want them. But we pray for these, sometimes the Lord will give them to you even though he knows that they're not good for you, but it's not without consequence. And yet, he's still with us. It's important to understand that God is always with us. God is always with us and will sustain us through these things. When we make mistakes, when we turn our backs, when we rebel, when we try to go our own way, God doesn't just abandon us and shut the door. He's still with us. He still cares about us, and he'll still show us the way out. And we'll have learned something pretty important in the meantime. So then God says, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. And as you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them. And they'll be prophesying, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. This is to Saul. And you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Sound familiar? This is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon one. The Holy Spirit moves within a person and changes them. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do. God is with you. And as Saul turned to leave, as he turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. They arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. When all who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that's happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? I don't know how much this, as, as you go along in your Christian life, if you remember what it was like when you first became a Christian, and every one of your relationships began to change. When people said, you know, what's gotten into you? Um, you don't enjoy these things anymore. I went, to you to, I went with you to the Oriole game not too terribly long ago, and you weren't nearly as much fun as you were the last time we went, and you got a beer in a, in a container the size of a Colonel Sanders bucket. You were a lot more fun then. What happened to the Scott that I knew? What happened to the Scott that I loved? What happened to the Scott that I embraced? I was, I was ready to embrace them back, but they weren't ready. Some of them still aren't. Some of them I haven't talked to in, you know, like 15, 20 years. When we are, become Christians, when we give our lives to Jesus, we, we're, we are set apart. I don't know that when we talk to new Christians, when we talk to people that we're um, evangelizing to, I, I don't know how to handle this. I, I don't know how to tell them what they're letting themselves in for. Um, I only know to tell them at the beginning that you will have given yourselves to a God who loves you. He will forgive you. He will save you. He will be with you. He will strengthen you, um, um, encourage you, uphold you. The things that a new Christian needs to hear, in in my heart, I don't know when to begin to tell them what they've, you know, at some point you have to tell them, you have to take up your cross daily to follow Jesus. Jesus. You have to count it all joy when you were persecuted and mocked, maybe by your friends, for the sake of the gospel. And people, uh, people told Jesus, you know, this is a hard lesson, Jesus. Who can hear this? Remember, I wish I knew where this happened in, this, in Scripture, but there was a time when Jesus was talking to big crowds of people and was saying messages like this, and most of them went home. They said, that's it for me. 
And I think it was Peter turned to him and said, you know, Jesus said, are you going to leave too? He said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. As difficult as they are, they're the words of eternal life and they're the true words and we stick with them. The Lord will explain them to us and the Lord will help us to do them. When you follow God, you begin to find that you're out of step and out of distance from the people who aren't. You just are. Doesn't mean you don't love them. You have to love them. You have mercy on them. You feed them. You clothe them. You help them. You visit them in prison. You uh, are salt and light to them. You do what you can for them. But they're, they're just not like you if they're not following Jesus. They're just not. And you're not like them. And if that hurts you enough, you'll drop the cross and run up and catch up to them. That will become more important to you. To avoid the pain, to avoid the hurt, whatever it is, and say, Lord, your help is not convincing me to go your path and not theirs. The more I read the Bible, the more I encounter the theme that comes into my head is, it's just chapter after chapter after chapter where we're called to do the impossible. Nobody else asked me to do that. Um, I have a lot of people who are asking me to do the difficult, the challenging, but only God consistently asks me to do the impossible. And just as it says with, with man, these things are impossible, but with God they're not. We need to understand when we begin to carry our cross, the Lord is going to do amazing things with you, with us. To look forward to that eagerly and anticipate what's going to happen. Great things are going to happen. You have seen, every one of you here that that's I've talked to has seen a miracle somewhere along the line. Every one of you has seen one of these things. And, and, the, and the biggest, to me, one of the biggest miracles there is is a changed human heart. Have you ever tried to change your own heart? It can't be done. The, the emotions that you have, you know, I, I'm sure there are people out there who still have not learned this yet, so they're going to keep on trying until they find out. You cannot change even your own human heart. You can change your behaviors, you can change your attitudes. The heart is still desperately wicked. And let alone trying to change somebody else's heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So what does God want from us? What's he expect us to do? There's the old hymn, right? Trust and obey. He expects us to trust and obey. And he empowers us to do this. One of the great gospel lessons is we are asked to do the impossible routinely and we are helped constantly by the one who can accomplish the impossible. He doesn't ask things that cannot be done by him for his purpose in us. He doesn't ask us to do things that can't be done through him. He doesn't set us up for failure. He sets us up to accomplish remarkable things. Now, if we try to do things without him, that's different. Like I tried to do those things at Salem United Methodist Church. I've prayed since then. Lord, I've repented of that. I said, Lord, please send somebody to them to straighten out what I told them. Go back there and reach them and tell them, just take all the things that I, was, that I thought was right at the time, Go back and straighten them out. Please don't let them persist in error. Please don't let them up there um, coming up with some other cockamamie scheme that can't possibly work because it has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. And it, doesn't, and it doesn't even have anything to do with whether or not they're going to hear about Jesus when they get in there. All we wanted to do is get them in the building, add to our membership roles, 
and show up at our pancake suppers. When God was talking to Samuel, he raises this question that we, have to, we just have to answer. Who do you trust with yourself? Who do you trust with you? Who do you trust with your heart? Who do you trust with your career? Who do you trust with your relationships? Who do you trust with your very soul, your very spirit? Who do you trust with that? Who can handle that? The world's teaching is you can do it yourself. The self-help books, I, you go to Barnes & Noble, the self-help books, they take up a lot of space. Wouldn't you think that like one really good self-help book would be all that there would be? And they just have, they just have one self-help book and everybody would buy it and the rest of them would all you know, just go into the recycle bin? No. Because nothing works. If something worked like that, that book, believe me, we would all know what that book is and we would all be talking about it all the time. And we probably, you know, I don't even know that we wouldn't have one in the house. But nothing works. And over and over again in our Christian walk, we ask this question to ourselves. What is God's responsibility and what is it? What do I have to do and what will you do? Because God tells us in the Bible that he does a lot of things that seem very remarkable and very far-fetched to us. Will God, in fact, run our lives for us? Will he run our lives? Will he be the Lord? Will he tell us what to do? Will he guide us? Will he instruct us? Is he, in fact, the Lord that we will follow even though the ways of the world look so tempting and look so real and look so rewarding, can I trust God with my life and let this other stuff go? What the people of Israel did and what we are doing as a, as a people ourselves is we are shifting responsibility from God to humankind. Things that God tells us he will do, we don't trust him to do, so we give it to people to do. We give it to the government to do. We, get, we trust the economy to do it. We, we give it to people. We want them doing it. I don't think we've done such a hot job. I don't understand how we can look at what humankind has accomplished and say to ourselves, we've, if, we just, if we just stick with this, sooner or later, this is going to be, uh, everything's going to be hunky-dory. The, uh, you, you've heard this. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Um, We've given humankind the authority to do things that God says are his to do. And we're okay with it. Humankind will, uh, will provide for our security. They will provide for our happiness. They will provide for uh, all of our needs. Government, the economy, our jobs, our families and friends. We find security in our jobs. And I know this firsthand. When you lose your job, I don't, you know, it's a, it's a remarkable Christian who goes, this is great. Wait till you see what the, what the Lord does now. The Lord is going to take this, this circumstance and going to do wonderful things. I was scared to death, and I, commit, I confessed that I was scared to death for the entire time. Knowing the Lord was going to do something sooner or later, but scared just the same. Because I didn't like the way he was handling it. He wasn't acting fast enough for me. He wasn't doing things. Fast. So I, you know, the whole time I was scrambling trying to do various things. And I'm telling you, he shut every door. But... It's my job to go out and take care of myself. Um, the hardest thing to do was wait. And the second thing, the hardest thing to do was listen to all my friends saying, 
what are you doing about this circumstance? Why aren't you acting more? Why aren't you more aggressive? Why aren't you more ambitious? Why aren't you, you know? I said, I'm waiting on the Lord. <laughs> what kind of, how do you think they responded to that? <laughs> they thought I lost my mind. Do we trust God in times like this or don't we? Do we trust God or do we use God as a backup position? Do we have a plan B when God doesn't do things the way we want to? A lot of what we trust is just because simply trusting God just is either too difficult or maybe it only applied in Old Testament times. Maybe the world is too complicated now. Maybe God can't handle it anymore. Maybe that promise had an expiration date. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We end up trusting the world from which God has set us apart. We are set apart from the world, and yet we trust it with all these things. Willingly. As if there was no alternative to it. You see the the conundrum this puts us in? Loving the Lord, and yet putting our trust in what he tells us we should not love. All right, so we read the Bible, we see these words, they look real to us. These are the words of God. We don't take them lightly. But what are you going to do about it? And what's stopping us from following God anyway? Well, doubt's the main reason, don't you think? I just don't, I just, I just don't think he'll do it. I, I, it's, I just don't think he'll do it. I don't think God works that way. That's the way I usually hear it expressed. Um, well, then why does it say it in the Bible so often? Did they, were all these things mistranslated? I don't believe they were. And I don't believe we're misunderstanding them either. Pride. Um, the insistence on handling it ourselves. Not to look weak, not to look ineffectual. The culture that teaches us these things. There are other cultures that don't have this problem. You know that, right? I mean, we live in the culture we live in where this kind of pride, this kind of ambition is normal. We forget sometimes that other cultures just simply don't approach life this way. And so for them to trust God, it becomes something that's more a part of their culture and a little easier for them, a little more natural for them than it is for us. So we actually do learn this from the people we grow up around. Um, Our finances are stopping us. Um, There are people out there who are missionaries, who gave up an awful lot in order to do it. A lot. A lot of security. Um, There are people out there who are being asked by God to do things with their finances that are not what they're doing now, to have a different attitude towards them. The one that came to me was when uh, Jesus was saying, "I, I don't want you chasing after these things like the heathen do. Not the same thing as earning them, not the same thing as, you know, working, but he doesn't want us chasing them like the heathen do. And that stops us. We put our, we put our uh, trust in that, and our security in that, our family and friends, and of course, you know, ourselves, which is the same as pride. We are in a position where we are being called by God through the Holy Spirit to surrender. He's telling the same thing to the people of Israel through Samuel. They were supposed to surrender, and they have reneged. They surrendered at one time, but now they said, it's, the time is up, we can't do it anymore. 
We take back our promise. We take back our commitment to you. We don't want any part of your um, covenant anymore. We want what the rest of the world has. We want to do things the world's way. To surrender is to give all that up. Every bit of it. That's what surrender is. Surrender is willful. It's intentional. You make up your mind. I give up. I surrender. I can't. You can. It's an acknowledgement of the superiority and worthiness of the one that you are surrendering to. You can do it. And you will do it. The thing about surrender is when the Japanese surrendered to the United States, for example, they couldn't make a phone call to the White House in 1947 and say, we changed our minds. We, uh, we take that back. Our surrender, our surrender doesn't count. Um, we were wrong. That's, it's a commitment. When you surrender, you stay surrendered. It's different from resignation. And I see a lot of resignation as opposed to surrender. Nothing else seems to be working. I stood in the back of an airplane one time, I'll never forget this, um, listening to two flight attendants talk. This, it was long enough ago that they were still stewardesses. And they said, um, one said to the other one, I'm getting married. Uh, oh, congratulations. So it went like that. And she said, um, where are you getting married? And she said, we're getting married in this Buddhist temple um, on Maui. She was a flight attendant, so they could go wherever they wanted, you know. Um, Buddhists, I, you know, I don't know any Buddhists. Yeah, he was a Christian for a while, but that didn't work out. So now he's a Buddhist. Um, when you expect Christianity to work out, you're coming at it from a worldly point of view. Nothing else seems to be working. I'll try Buddhism. I, I, I'd love to know what this guy's trying now. Might as well try God. But instead of the commitment, there's a lack of passion. There has to be. If, without the commitment, without the acknowledgement of superiority and worthiness, if you're doing this just because nothing else seems to be working, what kind of passion can you have about that? And there's, there's a lot of people sitting in pews today that are like this. Um, one of the, the things that I'm fondest of saying is, I believe at this stage of the game, our number one mission field is other churches. Maybe even our own. Start at home first. Where is the gospel not being heard? Where is it not being understood? Where is it not being preached? Where are people not being shepherded? Where are people not being loved? Where are people not being forgiven? Where are people not being encouraged, upheld, edified? Where is iron not sharpening iron? Then we can worry about what's going on in Congress. Then we can start worrying about these other... We're, we're jumping the gun. There's a, we talk about the country... Um, with Israel, you know, what happens when they stop following God. There's a lot of people here in the same way that are, that are just in a hurry, and I understand it. I do understand it. Um, but I think there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of things that need to take place before we start storming Washington or Annapolis or wherever else that we want to be storming. Keep praying for them. By all means, keep praying for them. But at the same time, I, you know, we get the church to the point where um, the church becomes seen and acknowledged as a force to be reckoned with. The world will, when the church is acting supernaturally, the world is going to know. 
They might deny it. They might attribute it to something else. But the world is going to know. Supernatural events have a way of getting noticed, and they have a way of getting people's attention. They might scare people. They might put, it they might put people off. But they notice the kind of power that we're looking for. It's the power of God working through his people that we're looking for that makes surrender worthwhile, the acknowledgement of superiority and worthiness for the purpose of, of God carrying out his plan. Remember this. Please. Those who are with us are more than there are with them. Remember this story? Lord opened his eyes, let him see, just for a minute. And he saw the chariots of fire, the angel, you know. When God is with you, who can be against us? Do we understand what that means? The power, the supernatural power, the power that creates galaxies, and, we, and the, the amount of problems that we have, the, the things that we confront, that in our hearts, whether we say it out loud, we might not say it, want to say it out loud, but there are a lot of things we just don't trust God to do that he says he'll do. And there's a reason that I think, and I could be thrown out on my ear for this, but there's a reason I think he's not doing it. Um, it reminds me, and I, I, I know to be cautious about applying biblical, pre, biblical words to you know, different groups, but remember what he said, when you cry out, I won't hear you. I won't come to your aid. This is my answer to everything. Everything. My answer to everything is pray. To do anything apart from prayer is to leave God out. Show me, Lord, where I don't believe you. Isn't that hard for us to say, we love the Lord, we follow the Lord, we've given our lives to the Lord, and yet somewhere inside ourselves we have to admit, Lord, I don't have any other... I don't know what other thing explains what I'm doing, except that I don't believe you. Show me where I don't believe you. Show me where I don't trust you. Where am I blind to the truth? Where am I just not seeing it? Where do I believe that the world is better equipped than you are to deal with things? And help me, Lord, to know what set apart means. To love that I'm set apart. This is it, To be set apart... It sounds, like a, it sounds like punishment to us sometimes, doesn't it? It's not. It's an honor. It's, it's a pleasure. It's a joy. Count it all joy to be set apart. Help me to trust and obey. Help me to act who is, as one who is set apart by you. Help me to understand what I am a part of and apart from. And to love it. And the Lord is going to work through us to accomplish this, the body of Christ, the people in this room, and in every other church all over the place, every member of the body of Christ, to help each other. There's a gentleman who comes to this church every once in a while. I think his name is Steve. Do you know who I'm talking about, Justin? Um, Pardon? Pardon? Yes. I, I wonder if he picked up on the clue. <laughs> um, I promised him that I would stop by and see him 
and I haven't done it. Too busy, too much to do, and he hasn't been back. So, of course, naturally, I think this is my fault. Had I visited him, had I loved him, he would be here every week. I don't, I don't know what his story is because I didn't go to see him. But if I did, I would also, first of all, have been keeping my promise, but second of all, we have to help each other. I, I hardly visit any of you, and I know you guys pretty well now. Let alone, you know, what am I doing? Where am I failing? Why is it too much trouble? Talk to each other. Be examples to each other. Support each other. Encourage each other. Love each other. Pray for each other. It's impossible for man. We're, you know, we don't like everybody, do we? We just, we just don't. There are people, that's the chemistry, it's something, but my answer to that is the same thing my mother used to say to me. Which very lovingly, she would say, tough. <laughs> Do it anyhow. <laughs> Get going. Okay. Don't be a quitter. I haven't been able to like them. I haven't been able to love them. But it's not impossible because God tells me to do it. We are empowered to do everything that the Bible says. Everything that the Lord tells us in Scripture, we're empowered to do it. We have his promise. We have his word. We can trust him. He will do this. And he's going to use us to help us get get there. Some of us will have it independently, but... For the most part, I believe in my heart of hearts that as we progress in this way, it's going to be us that stirs each other up to it, that supports each other to it. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.